Not yet. No, let's welcome Joe up. Good morning. Good morning, brothers and sisters. I really appreciate what Pam was sharing this morning from the front and how she was encouraging us with that whole idea of sight, of what do you see. And as we've been going through the book of Philippians, which is a great book of encouragement, if you recall several weeks ago, that was the first encouragement. They were encouraged to see. In Philippians chapter 1, I believe it's in verse was it 10, it says this, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And we looked at Paul's example and how he discerned what was around him as being a part of God's plan for him and his life. The second one we looked at was at Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And it was the encouragement to live, to live in accordance with God's heart, God's desire that it would be willing to sacrifice our lives for that which lasts to eternity, that that would be the way to go. And that was the greatest, one of the greatest encouragements to which we'd been given. And, and last, week, we last week, we looked at if we are encouraged to live in accordance with God's word, with God's heart and God's desires, then the greatest example was to be encouraged to follow the example Christ gave us. And we looked at that in, in verses 6, 7, and 8, starting off in verse 5, which we'll look at a little bit this morning. Now, I'm going to read from Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to read through the same passage we did last week. Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to read from verse 1 through to verse 13, and, and I'll open with that to begin with, and then we'll look at today's encouragement from God's Word today. Let's read verse 1 of Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Verse 12, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example you have given us in your son. We thank you for your spirit that brings enlightenment to the scriptures now, who convicts us of our sin, who challenges us and judges us about where we're at with you. 
So I pray this morning that you might speak to us by your spirit through the scriptures, that you might challenge us, that you might draw us closer to yourself. Father, that you might glorify yourself as you continue to change us to be more like your son. Please help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've been working at Borkham Hills High now for the last 13 years. And Borkham Hills High have a crest. They have a coat of arms. They have a shield. And on this shield, they have something specific. Jono is a graduate from Borkham Hills High School. Young Jono, what's on the, the, the school shield, the school emblem? An orange. They have an orange. That sounds that, that's really threatening. Like, you know, going to battle with a coat of arms, that's an orange. I had a look, and on the website it explains what's actually there. Uh, where the school was actually built was an orchard. It used to be an orchard. And way, way back in the day, apparently, Borkham Hills was one of the primary providers of oranges in New South Wales. So that's the reason why that's on there. But they do have a specific word on this shield, which is actually applicable to the encouragement that we receive today from God's Word. And that word is, my friend, persevere. The word for Borkham Hills High is to persevere. You know why? Because school, well, that's terrible at times. And you have to persevere. But in this great encouragement, in this letter that Paul gives to the church, it makes sense that following the encouragement to us, to follow the example that Jesus gave us. Well, it stands to reason then to continue in that example requires what? Perseverance. It requires us to be committed to and to see things through. And speaking with the vice principal, who's a very strong Christian at Borker Mills High School, he says his observation of young people today is that they lack resilience. Now, there's no disrespect to anybody that's young here. Or if you're, you know, I'm not saying that you're, you're weak or anything like that. I'm not pleased. That's not my intent. What I'm saying is this is an observation made by the principal that says that a lot of people today lack resilience. They lack the ability to stick to things and to see things through to the end. And sadly, a lot of us as Christians have taken on such a mindset as well that the ability to persevere seems to elude us. And we think, I think I'll just chuck it in. But that's not what the scriptures teach. You see this all throughout the scriptures and the encouragements we're given time and time again. I don't know if I put it up there. Uh, Oh, no, I haven't. But all time and time again, for example, in Galatians 5.1, we are encouraged by Paul to stand steadfast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, we are told to walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, we are told to run with patience or endurance the race that is set before us. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, we are told to finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. And as we look in Philippians, 3, Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, we are called to press on. And it reminds me of this fact, that living as a Christian while starting at our conversion through believing in the sacrifice that Jesus made for us is only the start. It is only the beginning. The legitimacy of one's faith, the authenticity of one's relationship with God through Jesus Christ is evident through one's long-lasting commitment to Jesus. It is evidenced by one's long-lasting commitment 
to Jesus. Things that I've borne witness to in my own life of people who have started off strong and then have fallen by the wayside along the way. And so as we look at these particular verses, for these are the verses I want to focus on today in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, it starts off with the word, therefore, in verse 12. That word, therefore, is basically translated as, because of this. It is referring back to the foundational truths that Paul has already established in the previous 10 verses, actually the previous chapter as well. But he's referring, he goes, he goes therefore, now, if for those who can remember, what were the three things last week we looked at in the example that Jesus gave us to follow? Because these are the truths that Paul is referring to here. Does anyone remember? Sorry? Selflessness? Obedience was the third one? And humility. These three things were given to us there. It started off, therefore, and then it stepped on. So he makes reference to verse 5, which is what? In your relationships with one another, have the, na- the same mindset as Jesus Christ. That mindset was that of submission or selflessness, humility, and obedience. And positioning himself in this way, as the Lord Jesus set this example for us, in obedience to God's word, the exaltation of Jesus occurs Where? In these verses, in verses 10 and 11. It was through his obedience, through his selfless submission, and through his humility that every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge or confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is what the therefore is referring to. Therefore, upon these truths, therefore, upon this, we build. This is what Paul is referring to, and Paul gets specific with his instruction because there is a comment that Paul makes that speaks to the character of the Philippian church. He makes reference to their faithfulness. He makes reference to their due diligence in his absence as well as in his presence. Now, I'll bring that up in a minute. Do you know people? Do you know people? And I have experienced this because I've known people like this. But do you know people who they are the most faithful, they appear the most spiritual, they profess to be the most enthusiastic, they're they're, they're the most spiritual people that you meet, they're the most religious when they are in the presence of others. And as soon as they leave one's presence, they sort of fall back to their old way of life, their old way of handling things, relying on the strength of the flesh. Do you know people like that? I've known people like that. Have I been like that? I think maybe to an extent. We had a pet growing up named Elvis. He was a a little corgi, cocker spaniel cross. He was a really cool little dog. And what he would do, what he would do, and, and this shows what sort of sick person I am, so at night, he knew. See, Elvis knew he was not allowed on the furniture. He was an indoor dog. He was a really cool dog. But what I noticed, I would get up at night, and I'd go to the bathroom, and I'd hear a thump, thump. And I'm like, oh, what was that? And I'd walk out, I'd switch on the light in the lounge, and I'd see Elvis lying at the feet of my dad's chair, just lying there. And I'm like, uh-huh, I know where you've been. So what do I do? I, I turn the light off, and then I wait. This is like 2 o'clock in the morning. I wait. And then I hear, dog, get up. 
And then, whoop, And then I come running out, turn like, ah! And I go with a piece of paper and I smack the dog, yeah, and then I kick him outside. That's, that's terrible, eh? That's terrible. But that is reflective of what our hearts are like. This shows how deceitful our hearts are as people. When it says that the heart of man is, is deceitful and desperately wicked, that is evidence of it because a lot of us, as we go through, think, well, I'm okay if I go to church, and then I have my church self, and then I go to work, and then there's my work self. Or I go to school, and there's my school self. And what's terrible is when your work self and your school self doesn't matter, measure up to your church self. There's an inconsistency. There's a break there. There might be even a challenge of one's genuineness in their relationship with Jesus. And that's what Paul's talking about because Paul says of this church, he says, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. So for Paul, the reason why he could look at this church and be so encouraged by them, encouraged by their faithfulness and their due diligence is because they saw the reality and the importance of their relationship with Jesus didn't depend or was determined by Paul's presence or not. They were governed by the Spirit of God and the Word of God irrespective of who was there. They saw that Jesus was the head of the church. They saw that they were accountable to him. And because they were accountable to him, they sought to honor him. Not Paul, honor the Lord Jesus. And you see this evidence appears that for this church in Philippi, the reality of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5 was a reality, which says this, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Why? Verse 5, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. This was the reality evidenced in the Philippian church and the fact that Paul could make that observation about them. This is why gathering here as a body of believers is important. This is why joining a Bible study group, joining a cell group is valuable. It is why being active in the gospel of sharing your faith in word and in deed is so important. It is why us living the Christian life is so necessary to reveal the reality of who God is to those we encounter. And this is evidence as Paul continues in these verses to encourage this church, to encourage us to persevere. Now, we're going to look at what some people have considered to be somewhat controversial. And look, if you have some controversial thoughts about this, or if you have some disagreements with this, please, we, I would love to talk with you about them. We can sit down and we can talk with them, talk about them, and, 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 and see what God says through the Scriptures, because there's a two-fold challenge He gives in the next couple of lines. The first one, There we are. Oh, there we are. To persevere in my responsibility. He says, so much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Straight away, when you see that word work and salvation in the same sentence, you're like, Ooh, hang on a sec. That's, wait, wait. So salvation is by grace through faith. 
There is no denying that. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. That it is grace through faith, not of works, so that no one can boast. We are saved by his mercy, not by our righteousness. Uh, Titus 3, 4 and 5. It's because of his mercy he saved us, nor by our religious works. Why? Because Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, 16. Okay, we'll carry on anyway. I don't know what I did there. Hey. Sorry, Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, that by the works or the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Paul said this, that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. That's Romans 7.18. Thus, the truth that salvation is a work of God and God alone, there's no contest. That's, 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 you don't argue with that point. That's settled. Salvation is by God and God alone. There is nothing that I can contribute. There is nothing that I can earn. There is nothing that I deserve regarding the salvation of God by faith in Jesus Christ. So what is Paul stating here? Why does Paul charge the Philippian church to work out their salvation? Is he saying to them, well, work it out? Is he implying that acceptance by God is earned through my personal effort? No, he's not. In this context, Paul is referring to the responsibility you and I have in our relationship with Jesus. Let me explain. When you are in any sort of relationship, there is a cost to you. There is. My, my love for my wife and my wife's love for me is unconditional, prayerfully. It is unconditional. She accepted me warts and all. I did nothing to deserve that. She bestowed her love upon me and vice versa. But there is a, a cost. Just because she says she loved me and she said I do, does that mean now I take such love for granted? Does that mean now that I think, ah, she loves me, it's all good? Does it mean I cast it to the side? No. It means the responsibility I have is to cherish her, to appreciate her, to care for and protect her in the relationship we share. Does that make sense? When you enter any relationship, there is a cost. We have been entered into a relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ because of what he'd done for us on the cross. And there is now a cost. Yes, my salvation is being complete. Nothing I did to deserve or earn it, and yet I have a cost in how I honor God with the life that he has given me in himself. It is the continuation of our salvation. For example, I think I put that up there. Okay, my responsibility. We see, we are born again. It's a continuation of our salvation, born again by the Spirit, John 3, 3, living lives sanctified, walking in the newness of life. That talks about that in Romans chapter 6, verse 4. So the deliverance of our lives from sin's penalty and power, that all took place at the cross. When we believed in Jesus, the Son of God, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died for me on the cross and rose again, the third day. That was my salvation complete. My redemption achieved. My acceptance from God took place. And what happened at that point were these things. I was translated from one kingdom to another. I became a citizen of God's household. I was now a new creation in Christ, and my name has been written in the book of life. We are saved, uh, we are saved from our sin. 
right then and right there, and all of these things take place. This is what you are right now. Do you, does that make sense? You get that? This is you. This is me through faith in Christ. But our sanctification, what I mean by that is our living in the here and now carries with it a continual working of God by the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's what happens in the here and now. Our way of living now with the identity I have in Jesus is to now match up. And that's what the Holy Spirit does in you and I right now. And we see this referred to in, in some, some well-known scriptures, uh, scriptures. For example, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 1.15, but as he who has called you is holy, so be ye holy. In all manner of conversation, that's from the King James. That's how I memorized it originally. But that, that whole that manner of conversation means every aspect of your conduct. In 1 Peter 3.15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always. That all takes place. So this is, this is the responsibility that has been bestowed upon us now in the relationship we have with Jesus. To be strong, to be holy, to sanctify the Lord. And the thing is, that doesn't happen like a one-off thing. That's not like a one-day thing. Okay, I'm holy now. Yes, I'm holy positionally with my God. But you and I know, you and I know that holiness doesn't always express itself in the best of ways. You and I both know when we lose our temper, when we get frustrated, when we sit down and get angry with things, you and I know that our sinfulness is still ever present with us. But by the grace of God and the goodness of God, there are transformations that are taking place as he continues to develop us to be more like Jesus. For example, I like this. This is why it says in these two verses. See, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. That's an interesting term. For those of us that are being saved. You know what that means? That's the present tense. That's things that are happening now. But yes, we are saved from sin. Yes, we have been delivered, and our names are written in the book of life. The being saved, that is our sanctification. That is God continually working with us. That is the Spirit molding us. That's why the term used there is that we are being saved. We're we're in the process right now of God shaping us and molding us to when that when we are called home to be with Him, then we'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. He's completed the work that he began in us at salvation. Same thing, 2 Corinthians 2.15. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. How can we be being saved if we've already been saved? We're being saved because it's the reality of being transformed by the renewing of our mind. Romans 12.2 of being conformed to the image of Christ, Romans 8, 29. Our refusal to be entangled in the cares and affairs of this life, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. See, these are the workings that are taking place within you and I right now as God continues to save us and mold us and change us. It is a continual working. It doesn't stop. Um. I remember just recently we had a couple of people come over from church and, and, and I remember sharing this with them. Actually, it happened years ago. Before I get up to what happened, years ago, as I was reading through this passage, 
And, and I was reading through Hebrews and I come across the, the, the verses in 13 which says how, uh, obey your leaders, submit to those who have rule over you. And I remember reading that and thinking, okay, well, what does that mean? And, and then I read this verse here when it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then the Holy Spirit opened my eyes and challenged me with something. So I met with my elders. I met with my elders and I sat there and I says, you, you guys have a full-on task, eh, bro? And sorry, that's how we talk in New Zealand. I say, hey, bro, and he goes, and he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I says, well, I, I, God showed me something. I wanted to share it with you. And he goes, what is it? And I says, I, I discovered as I read through the scriptures that the best way I can bless you, the best way I can encourage you, the best way I can exhort you and, and, and uplift you and support you as leaders is to make sure I have my own Christian walk sorted out. It's to make sure that I'm walking in obedience to God's word. It's to make sure I'm fulfilling God's call in my life. That's what I need to do. If I do that, then I think that would bless you much better than me just doing whatever you asked me to do, right? And they said, yes, that, that would. That would be a, a great blessing to them. And, and I thought, wow. And, and so when some people came over to home and we had, had a meal and, and, and I remember sharing it with the leaders at the beginning of the year, do you want to know how you can best bless your Bible study leaders? you want to know how you can best bless ministry leaders, worship team and the elderly visit and the welcome team? you want to know how you can best bless the pastors and, 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 and the Sunday school team? you want to know how you can best bless them and support them and encourage them, not only to pray for them, not only to encourage them and let them know, but to, to come and seek God in your relationship with him? to be obedient to God's conviction in your heart and to fall into line with God's will and God's word in your life personally. Now, I'm not saying you don't just, that you go, oh, well, yeah, I don't need the church. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you don't need anyone else. I'm not saying you don't need the support of brothers and sisters around you. I'm not saying that, okay? Please don't misinterpret me because I'm not going to church next Sunday because I'm, I'm, I'm working out my salvation with fear and trembling before God myself. I'm not saying that, okay? Please, please come to church next Sunday. Anyway, but... All I'm saying is that this is, this is how it best encourages us, best supports us. When we see you get up and say, I'm going to take a stand and I'm going to share this word with someone even if I don't want to hear it. I'm going to do away with sin in my life personally and then share how God convicted my heart and, and how, how that can be a blessing to others. I'm going to, I'm going to when Joe asks me, can you, can you come along and help us out with that? I'm going to say yes. Not even going to find out what it is. I'm going to say Yes. Because I want to see what God can do with me and how God can grow me and how God can challenge me. As a husband, God might convict you and you say, okay, I'm going to do this. As a wife, okay, I'm going to submit. Whatever it might be. But what I'm saying is the relationship with you have with your God, that is the best encouragement. It's, it's you working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Making sure you're taking responsibility and persevering in that responsibility because God has called you. How God speaks to you will be different how God speaks to me. In the context where you are at right now, God will say, well, this is what I want you to do in, in Lewis's life. Well, it's different to my life. Now I might be able to impart a bit of wisdom or, or even just impart a bit of support or a bit of prayer. But the reality is God is speaking to each one of you individually as well. And because we're all at different levels in our relationship, he might speak differently. The issue is, will you respond to what he tells you? Will you take responsibility for that? And if it's something you don't like, you know what you do? You persevere. You push through and see what God reveals to you about himself in the process. For example, so I go to the gym 
And, and I, hate, I hate squatting. I hate doing squats. It's terrible because, one, I have bad shoulders. I can't even grab the pole. Like, it's terrible. So I have to do, I have to do front squats. But it, it, I hate them, but I do them because I see the benefit in that. And I do them, and I do them. And at the end of it, I'm happy I got it done. I persevere with it. Um, Jaime, Uncle Mike's son, Jaime, he was telling me he never liked doing squats. He loves doing squats now. Mind you, his legs are like this big. But like he, now, he enjoys them now. But see, this is what, that perseverance, we reap the benefits of persevering in our relationship with Jesus. One commentator explains it this way. Even though God planned for and initiated the work of our salvation, he calls us to respond to his grace. The work of salvation, though finished on the cross, is still being completed in individuals. It is still being completed in us. So, this is Paul's encouragement to persevere in our responsibility, and it incorporates the deliberate intention to work out sanctifying measures in my life, the things that I must take in order to partake and fully appreciate God's work in me, to partake of the divine nature that God has imparted to us. But you know what that means? That means you looking at your life and thinking, I need to cut that. I need to do away with that. I need to cast this. That's why the scriptures teach. Laying aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us. That's what we need to do. And then to persevere, to see that through. But that's the first point, to persevere in my responsibility. But leads to the second point that Paul makes. And that is to persevere with God's working in me. In verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act and in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now, verse 12 refers to my personal responsibility. But verse 12 is only possible because of verse 13. The only way I can actually work out my salvation with fear and trembling is if I understand and recognize that it is God who is working in me. That it is God who is working in me to, uh, yeah, works into to will and to act in accordance with his good purpose. That it is God working. God giving me his desires, his heartbeat, his vision, his sensitivity, his compassion. See, the only reason I'm concerned about the things of God now is not because I'm concerned with the things of God. It's because God's given me his heart. God's given me his spirit. I now have within me God's DNA, and therefore, because of God's DNA, that is to be reflected in what I do, because he is my father. If my God is generous, guess what? We're to be generous too. If God is patient, guess what? We're to be patient as well. If God is compassionate, well, that's my DNA as well. That means I'm going to be compassionate. But I haven't got to be. I am because his spirit dwells within me. This is why the likes of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says this, For we are God's handiwork, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And I know I've shared this before, that word handiwork, God's workmanship, God's masterpiece, that word is the word poem. It's the word poem, poema, is that word in the Greek, which means this, that if you are God's poem, 
He, as the author of that poem, which is your life, as the author of that poem, is putting in place various things in life, in our lives, to bring about a masterpiece that glorifies the mind and the heart of the author. When you read something, you read something of the person that wrote it. I'm, I've never been a big reader of novels. I've never been a big reader of novels. I've, I've actually enjoyed reading poetry. You know, like, I've never understood a lot of it, but I've, I've tried reading poetry. I've got a book of poems at school, which I threw away. But you have a look, and when you read certain things, you see a person's heart. Somebody wrote me a letter of encouragement. I read that letter of encouragement, which encouraged me, but I saw something of the person's heart because of what they wrote. Okay? Now, you are God's poem. The heart of God is reflected in the way he shapes and molds you in the circumstances that you encounter in your life. Therefore, therefore, if he is still working, if we are being saved, this means this, we have to persevere. What does Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 say? I encourage you to memorize this verse because this verse speaks directly to what I'm saying right now. Being confident in this very thing, that he who begun a good work in you will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. You know what that is? That is God's handiwork in your life of him working, of him shaping, of him molding you in the various circumstances. Remember in Philippians chapter 1, Paul's encouragement to see how God, God working in Paul's life had to be, in, had, even in Paul's imprisonment, in, in Paul's persecution, in, in Paul's harassment, Paul viewed everything that he encountered in his life and saw that as God's direct work in his life as something of a benefit to him. That's why he was encouraged to see such things. That's why we're encouraged to see such things. So we are God's handiwork. God's handiwork. Now, think about this. Hold on to this thought. He who made me fearfully and wonderfully. He who is the first and the last, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the ending. He who knows the number of hairs on my head. Well, oh, yeah, okay, anyway, we'll carry on with that. He who knows when a sparrow falls to the ground and adorns creation and a glory greater than that of Solomon in all his regalia. I am told through Paul that it is this God who works in me to change my desires, to change my enjoyments, to change my purpose, not by forcing his will upon me, but by revealing to me by his spirit what is the best way in life, what is the greatest purpose in life, and what is the best plan that is most fulfilled in life. That's what he's doing. So if this God who knew everything and, and placed everything to work in order, read Isaiah 40. It's one of my favorite Old Testament chapters. Read Isaiah 40 when it talks about the sheer greatness and magnificence of our God. It is this God who works directly in my life and in your life. And he says, if I'm doing this, if I, I was talking with Jono this morning, and, and it was, it was really, we were quite loud. We apologize if you heard our conversation. But we were talking about Job and how God challenges Job, apparently sarcastically at the start, but later on, it's, it, it, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing what God does. 64 questions, 64 questions God gives Job. 64 questions God sits there and says, where were you when I did this? 
You tell me why the seas stop here. You tell me why the sun comes out and goes down. You tell me this. You tell me that. And it just shared the, the, the sheer magnificence and greatness of who God is. This God who put everything in a perfect order to function and to work, to glorify him, where the, where the psalmist says that the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament declares his handiwork, that same God has his hand in each of your lives. In each of your lives. In each of my lives. And so who am I to sit there and say, God, you don't know what you're doing? Who am I to sit there and say, you made a mistake? Who am I to sit there and say, Lord, that's unfair? No, because he's bringing about the fruit of righteousness in each of our lives. And that's why we're encouraged to persevere with God working in me. What does Romans 8 say? For I reckon that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. That is the God. That is my God working in my life, working his purposes for his glory. Even when it's bad, God's got his hand there. Even when it's misunderstood, God has his hand there. That his way is the best way, and it's always the best way. Matthew 7 7 to 11, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now I like this. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? That is the work of our God in our hearts and in our lives. If, if me being a sinful man knows how to give good, how much more will a, a great, loving, all-powerful God, how much more will he give me good gifts that will glorify him? That means his involvement. That's him working. Jeremiah 29, 11. We all know, we all know this verse. I didn't put it up there. Sorry. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. This is a specific word imparted to us as God's children and as disciples of Christ. The exhortation to persevere in our responsibility and to persevere in, our, in the work God is shaping in us, which falls upon both you and I to recognize in our Christian journey that it is not a journey walked alone. One of the greatest mysteries, I think, of the Christian faith is that it is 100% God and 100% us. What I mean by that is we have our role to play. We have the responsibility to fulfill. Psalm 37.4, which you all know, delight yourself also in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's not looking at a genie, rub the bottle, rub the lamp and he gives you what you want. That is, if you delight yourself in the Lord, then his desires become your desires. He gives you his desires. He gives you his heart. He gives you his spirit. He gives you all of these things. And this is the, the wonderful working because we see God's working with me as his spirit, his promises, his presence, his power, his enablement, his desires. All of those things take place as God is continuing to work within us. 
a work that we persevere. See, we get tired. We, we have encouraged in the scriptures, you know, don't be weary in doing good. We get told that in the scriptures. And, and life is like that at times. We can get weary. But God, even in our weariness, God is working. And I shared this two weeks ago, and I share it again. And this is the importance and the joy of brothers and sisters in Christ, of people praying for and blessing each other. And, and I remember I was feeling, I was feeling weary, and I was feeling tired. And I was just, ah. And then I went to sleep, woke up the next morning, and my heart was uplifted, my spirit was uplifted, and, 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 and a brother and a sister shared a, a song with me, which greatly blessed me and encouraged me. And, and I was just, yeah. I got my focus off myself, and I saw God's working in my heart to bring him to himself and keep my heart encouraged. And so I encourage you, please pray for each other. Please bless each other. It might be a message, it might be a phone call, but please involve yourself with each other's lives because you don't realize the impact that you might have even without them knowing. Adrian is a great example. Who met you? I don't know. But God used the influence of Evelyn within his life that left a sweet-smelling savor for the glory of God that left an impact and impression upon him to draw him closer to God. You may just be the tool or the vessel that God uses, but if you don't want to be used, then you, you, you miss out on all of that. But this is why we need to persevere. God is working. Whether you think it or not, God is working. Working in your heart, working in the heart of the neighbor next to you, working in your parents if they don't know Jesus, working where you are right now, God is working. And we need to persevere, to push through. If it seems unfair, push through. If it seems hard, push through. Keeping your eyes fixed upon Jesus. And so everything we need to partake uh, of the divine nature and the life God has given us, a life of godliness. See, this of what God's working in me is coupled with this, my responsibility. What's my responsibility? Well, this is what it is, to, to lay aside, to press on, to mortify, which means to put to death. It talks about that in Colossians. To take up my cross, to deny self, to set my affections on things above, to look unto Jesus. And if I listed it like this, and you can look up scriptures to confirm that because it's all throughout the scriptures, I, I encourage you, take a photo of that, and you look at the scriptures because all of this, that's completely possible with, within our relationship with Jesus. All of that is attainable. All of that is possible in the person of Jesus Christ because that is what he has done in us. This is why we are called to persevere in both of these things to persevere in my responsibility, to persevere with God working in me. Now, here's the, uh, the final challenge, I guess, you want to take up. Perseverance, perseverance is not easy. That, the very word itself, perseverance, implies difficulty. So you, you know what we're encouraged to do. We're encouraged to persevere, which means we're encouraged to press on in difficulty. Because through such difficulty, not only will we be witness to what God does, but we'll also be witness to the transformation he takes place within us, even without us recognizing it. And this is the encouragement we are given in the Scriptures. So, Brothers and sisters, I encourage you, 
I encourage you that this week, even over the past few weeks we've been looking at this, I would encourage you to see as God sees. I would encourage you to live as God lives, or as God calls us to live. I would encourage you to follow the example set for us in the person of Jesus Christ, and I would encourage you to persevere in following. Stick to it. Stick to it. If you don't remember anything else, stick to it. So I'm going to ask the music team to come up. We're going to sing our song, and then I'll close in prayer after that. And then the prayer team will come up, and we would love to pray for you today. Even if you want to pray about perseverance, if you want to pray about where you're at in your God and and, and how difficult things might be in the here and now, to get us refocused, refocused so you're moving in the same direction as God desires you to move. Okay? Thank you very much. We'll be upstanding, and we'll sing our last song.